What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. A seemingly happy family, belonging in a Norman Rockwell painting, would soon turn into a thing of nightmares. This is the story of Anne and Anthony Anastasia. It's one of jealousy, rage, and murder. Anne Marie Anastasia was born sometime around 1973. There's not much background information on where she grew up or came from but she was a traditional young woman who grew up in Maryland. Anthony Anastasia was also born sometime in 1975, and while his past is still unknown, we know he fell in love and married Anne in Maryland. Our story picks up right in the middle of their marriage. They had moved from Maryland to Salt Street Marie, Michigan, because Anthony was working as a volunteer youth hockey coach. By this point, Anne and Anthony had already had five kids and were already deep in the trenches of a full-fledged marriage. You can already probably imagine what this looks like. It's like they say, 50% of marriages end in divorces and the other 50% are already divorced but living together. But this pair had been married for 18 years, happy and in love, raising their kids together. That, however, would not be the case for long. After 18 long years together, it seemed that things were getting a little stale, for Anthony at least. The marriage started to struggle when Anthony met 25-year-old Jacqueline Riggs, and he was all in. Jackie became the apple of Anthony's eyes, and he was falling for her, hard. 
In most stories, the homewrecker is never really given much attention. They are usually a puppet in the story and are given a minimal background. Whether it's because they've never shared their story or because they've never been known for anything else. So we thought we'd change that for a bit and give Jacqueline a bit of a backstory because while she was a homewrecker, she was also innocent enough to believe she knew what she was getting herself into. She was sweet and gentle, a loving daughter and sister. Her life revolved around childcare. You can call it fate or bad luck that she fell in love with an older man. But she, like Anthony, was lost in love. And Anne Anastasia was growing more and more suspicious of her husband by the day. When she learned of their affair, every thought urged her to scream and get revenge. But Anne knew she had to first try and save her marriage. So she did. She knew she had to get Anthony away from Jackie. So she proposed moving away from their home. Her marriage wouldn't be threatened and Anthony would be forced to improve the marriage too. She picked Marilyn to move back to, hoping the familiar location would remind Anthony of their love. But hope is a cruel thing. When Anne proposed the move, Anthony agreed without hesitation, but he had one condition. Jacqueline Riggs should move in with them. This, this was no longer an affair. It was a relationship and quite obviously a spit in Anne's face. Anne was devastated. She hated the idea of even acknowledging Anthony's affair, let alone allowing his mistress to move in. She felt heartbroken and lonely, but she knew she had to protect her family and home. So with a heavy heart, she gave in. She allowed her husband's 25-year-old girlfriend to move in with her and her children all in the hopes that Anthony would wake up one day and realise the pain he was causing Anne and resolve to be a better husband. But for Anthony, it was more the merrier. He thought it would make them a big old happy family. And some kind of family they were. Anne and Anthony moved into a home in Lothian, Maryland, less than an hour away from Washington, D.C. It was a rental home, but it was charming and promising nonetheless. It was ideally situated on a nice piece of land in a rural area. The house had five bedrooms and was spacious, and it sat on a large plot of land, perfect for a family with five kids and a mistress. Jacqueline made her home in the basement, which turned out to be quite the location for someone's love toy. By 2015, Jacqueline Riggs became a de facto member of the family. She would eat with them, go out with them, and sleep in the basement while Anthony slept with his wife. And Anne? Well, Anne cooked meals for the entire family, including Jacqueline, and said nothing about it. But naturally, she was never happy with the whole thing. She was frustrated, irritated, annoyed, devastated, and heartbroken. And speaking out could never be an option because Anthony was perfectly capable of leaving her and her children, and making off with Jackie, never to be seen again. So Anne made the best of a bad situation. She stayed a good mother and a good housewife, all until Anthony asked something of her that would test her limits. A threesome with his mistress. 
as appalling as the request was, Anne tried it. The very act repulsed her so much that she spoke out for the very first time, but to no avail. Anthony started to ignore her entirely and devoted himself to Jackie, and Anne had no choice but to find a way to emotionally withdraw from the situation. By this point, Anthony began to spend more and more time downstairs in the basement, ultimately spending many nights a week living with Jackie. Anne was a stranger in her own marriage. But what compelled Anthony to stay in the marriage? Why not leave and marry Jackie? It would save the family so much pain and emotional trauma. You see, Anne had a pretty bountiful trust fund. The family had been living off this trust fund to pay for necessities. But lately, Anthony had been spending it on himself. Shopping sprees, flat screen TVs, even a Harley Davidson. But this was it. Anne was having no more of the disrespect and abuse. She decided to take matters into her own hands. While most mothers will do anything for their daughters, the feeling isn't so quickly reciprocated. But Anne was lucky. Her daughter was more than prepared to exact revenge. Sarah was only 13 years old when Anne made her request. She had seen the bizarre living situation of her parents, and while she didn't understand it, she knew it was wrong. It's safe to say that Sarah indeed carried some resentment for her father and found his attitude to his family quite dishonourable. So it wasn't a hard decision for the 13-year-old to make. After deciding to commit a double murder, Sarah approached her 18-year-old boyfriend, Gabriel Struess, to carry out the job. Gabriel had also had a pretty unconventional childhood, jumping from foster home to adoptive parents to biological parents and back to the streets. Gabriel pretty much raised himself, devoid of a real, stable family. Gabriel lived in a building with cardboard covering the walls and no heating. Sarah and Anne were practically all the family he had, and he desperately wanted a family. The women started selling the idea that if Gabriel carried out the deed, he would be welcome to live in their comfortable home. Slowly but surely, Gabriel agreed to the plan. That was phase one. Phase two was actually planning the murder. The mother and daughter exchanged texts on Kick and Snapchat, where messages couldn't be traced. They worked out ideas, asked questions, and made plans on these apps. But unknown to them, they were leaving traces. In any case, the plan was set. On October the 4th of 2015, Anne picked up Gabriel from his home and drove him to the Anastasi residence. Anne didn't want Anthony or Jackie to see him, so Gabriel spent the evening napping in the yard. Once everyone in the house had fallen asleep, Gabriel woke up. He made his way into the house where Anne was already waiting with a knife and a .380 gun. She handed the weapons to Gabriel and left him to his task. Gabriel crept down the staircase and into the basement, the same room that had become the bane of Anne's existence. Gabriel got closer to the bed and, with one swift motion, brought the knife down on Jackie. His adrenaline pumping, he started to repeatedly stab her. 
he stabbed her a total of 42 times. This was the night Anthony decided to sleep in his marital bed, so Gabriel made his way to the master bedroom with a gun and shot Anthony in the head from a few feet away. The deed was done. After Gabriel left the scene of the crime, Anne retrieved Anthony's personal 45 caliber gun and placed it by his head. The stage was set. Hopefully the police would believe that Anthony killed Jackie out of rage, and then, in his grief, killed himself. Anne had it all figured out. Or did she? The next morning, Anne went about her daily routine, as if nothing happened. She got up, took her children to school, went to a doctor's appointment, went to the grocery store, and somewhere between the lunch hours of October 5th, 2015, Anne called 911. When the 911 operator picked up, Anne simply stated that she had just found her husband's unconscious body. She didn't panic. There was no fear, no dread for her loving husband. Anne was bone-chillingly calm. The 911 operator sent police and patrol officers to the charming house on West Bay Front Road. When they arrived, Anne immediately came outside and claimed that her husband was dead. As the police began to walk into the charming, typical American dream home, they quickly noticed all the dirty clutter and filth inside the house. It seemed like this picture-perfect American dream family was really a nightmare inside. When they reached the master bedroom, they found Anthony lying on his back in his bed, completely knocked out by a single gunshot wound to the head and a pistol in his hand. It just didn't look right. Something was off. So the police turned to his wife for answers. Her response? He was depressed. According to her, it should have been all the information the police needed. He was depressed. Of course he killed himself. But the police knew better. They knew when something was a suicide. There was no blood stippling. The angle of the shot was all wrong. And the body was in a totally odd position. This wasn't by any means a suicide. The cops, however, couldn't jump to conclusions. When they asked Anne if anyone else was at home, she said there might be somebody in the basement. That's an odd way to mention another member of the household. But the cops chalked it up to Anne's fear and nervousness. For now. As they were looking around the house for more clues, they heard the sound of heavy metal music blaring from somewhere in the home. Following the sound, they came to the horrifying, bloody room of Jacqueline Riggs. Back at the station, police and detectives weren't really getting any real answers. Anne presented herself as the grieving widow who loved her family and her husband wholeheartedly, but nothing added up. Why was Jackie stabbed 42 times? Why did Anthony kill himself? And why did it so obviously look like a murder? Anne stuck to her story. Anthony got in a fight with Jackie stabbed her in a moment of rage and killed himself out of grief. Despite her best efforts at putting up an award-winning performance, though there was one thing she didn't think of. When the detectives studied the crime closely, 
they noticed a glaring inconsistency. Anthony was killed with a .380, but his gun was a .45. The police asked Anne to submit her clothes and handprints for further investigations. Of course Anne complied, confident that they would find nothing that could incriminate her. Sure enough, they found the gunshot residue on her clothes. She failed a polygraph test and her stories were starting to sound inconsistent. And there was nothing more the police could get from Anne, so they had to go back and do their own research. They found answers while scouring through old texts and call histories, and there was the trail they left behind in all of their planning. Gabriel, the sweet, shy, eager-to-please Gabriel, who would give everything away with the right motivation. When the police questioned Gabriel, the whole story came out. The planning on Snapchat, the weapons, the murder, the history of the love affair, every tiny, horrifying, heartbreaking detail. Not long after the confusion, Gabriel was sentenced to 60 years in prison, and a 13-year-old Sarah Anastasia was placed in a juvenile facility until the age of 21. As for Anne, in December 2016, Anne entered Alford Pleas to two counts of first-degree murder and a gun charge. This meant that while Anne maintained her innocence, she admitted that there was enough evidence to result in her conviction. In May 2017, Anne was sentenced to life in prison. But does the punishment fit the crime? Was Anne purely acting out as a scorned lover and a hurt wife, justified in her rage? Or did her actions end up causing more pain than good? The interpretation is yours to make. 